just continue uh, through Ephesians again, but uh, the last time I shared uh, was looking at the, uh, the need and uh, nature of spiritual growth, and uh, this morning I'm going to talk a little more about that. And when, when we talked the last time, we were, we were speaking basically from the standpoint of what Paul says, the desire that Paul has, the prayer that he prays for the church in Ephesians. Having expressed to them the immense, unimaginable wealth of the grace of God that has been bestowed to them, the riches of the grace of God that they are now partakers of as vessels in which Christ abides, and a body in which he is head and the fullness that fills that body. And in the midst of speaking of that, having declared all of that, how God summarized all of these realities into Christ, he stops to pray for the church and does so in a profound way of declaring to them their the necessity of God's work in the heart of one who has believed. And that is to open the eyes of their understanding, to flood their heart with light, to give a divine perspective where men's perspectives fall short, where men's understanding can't approach, God's understanding has to intervene. He has to bring the soul into a recognition of a reality far beyond man's reach. And that's the understanding Paul has with regard to the grace of God. And then on, uh, in the light of that, we went to look at the growth that is needed because that is Paul's heart, that they would grow, that they would comprehend, which is the means of growth. The problem is when we talk about spiritual growth, we usually see it in a, in a sense that is totally contradictory to true spiritual growth. As I said before, we think spiritual growth is almost us growing to a point where we don't need mercy, we don't need grace. Basically, we grow to a point where we've got it together. We, un we have it. All our ducks are in a row. All our things are good to go. Well, I've never met that person. I've met that person that thinks that. I was the person that thought that at one time. But then you hit the brick wall called you. Then you understand that you have it reached anything. A reality reached you that you could not reach yourself. And this is the grace that God has bestowed. And spiritual growth is within the framework, within the realm and sphere of that grace. And that's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. When he says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now the lawless people he's speaking of are those who have taken the law beyond its intention, so they are lawless. They have taken the law beyond its end. 
So they are without the law. They are transgressors of the law, as Paul would say. Because the intent of the law was never to have perfected men. It was to bring the souls of men to one perfect man. It was to guide us and lead us to Christ. That's the whole point of the law. And it points the finger at men and says, you're not. But then it prophetically points to another and says, but he is. And he's coming. And the whole work of salvation, the whole work that Paul is declaring to them in Ephesians, everything that we're reading is about the soul having come to or that reality having come to the soul. Something greater, something more perfect, something that men can never imagine, let alone reach in their own abilities. And so he's telling them, basically as Paul does in a lot of his letters, do not be carried away with their lawlessness. Do not be carried away with the vain, empty rhetoric and philosophies, ideologies of men. And in so doing, lose your own stability. And that's a point that we have to consider. I don't, I, I, you know, I personally, I... I think about that a lot. I don't say it a lot of times, but I think about that a lot because I'm not trying to, you know, I don't want to point out the problems as much as I want to declare the solution. That's the issue. We often focus so much on what's wrong, we never see what is true and what is right because in Christ there's nothing wrong. But there is a, an idea in the heart of men that are, that leaves men considering that their standing before God is unstable. And the more you listen to men, the more you listen to religion and doctrines and theologies, boy, that, that instability gets greater and greater and greater. And the weight of it just begins to compound upon itself. And it's all on you. And when he says that you would lose your own stability, that's a big thing. You would think it's the same thing. Let's look at it this way. It's the same thing as Paul saying, those of you who seek to be righteous by the law, you have fallen from grace. Does he mean you have lost salvation? No. What he means is you're trying to relate to God within a framework in which he does not relate to you. He has known you in a particular way. He is related to you in a very specific, singular way. And now you are taking upon yourself the responsibility of relating to him in a way that is in total contradiction to the grace of God that has been given. So you have fallen. You stepped outside of the boundaries of the grace of God and tried to know and relate to God in, a, in an unofficial way, you could say, in an unsupported way. God relates in one specific way, and in that one specific way in which God relates to us, our stability is made sure. Our certainty and security of heart is unquestionable. Once it's brought into the framework of the realm of men and sight and sound and activities or non-activities, then the questions abound. Then the uncertainty is always present, and yet... When we look at it within the boundaries that Peter, Paul, all set forth. I mean, again, we've said it many times. When he uses the, the statement, in Christ, in the beloved, he's not just filling space because he, you know, has a thousand word report he has to get out. 
You know, so he's just filling words in. I did that in school, but Paul didn't do that. Peter doesn't do that. They are describing the framework in which all of this is true, the realm in which all of this is real. And when he speaks of this stability and the not losing your stability, here's the way in which that is done. Here's the way you will stand sure, not in reality, because that's taken care of. Not as far as I am born again, I am in him, he is my life, I am complete in him. That's not questionable because that's a work transacted by God himself. That is a done deal. The question, however, is what of that reality is my soul comprehending? What of that reality that is never changing and that does not change on me? What of that is my soul aware of? Because that's where my state of stability comes into question or not. Here's the means by which that stability is known and enjoyed. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice, there's a, there's a perimeter set in which this growth takes place. It's not take grace, believe in grace, and then let's get beyond it so that we're stable on our own, that we're able to stand because we are able to stand. God did his part, now let's do ours, right? That's how it's preached. And it's sad that that's how it's preached, but that's the gospel that most people hear that is not a gospel, as Paul would say. Yes, sir. You sure can. Okay, I'm going to read one out of the uh, New American Standard here. Okay. This is uh, Titus 2. Hold on, come here. Come here. You want me to come here? I want you to come where I can hear, everybody can hear you. Come close where I can hug you. <laughs> I, I read this the other day and just was, I, I thought it was remarkable because I just read 33 translations of this verse. They all say the same. There's one translation that says it like the Greek reads it. Uh, but no wonder everybody preaches it a certain way. I mean, our Bibles have said it like this True. over and over. Uh, I'm just gonna, I'll back up a little bit. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age. This word right here, deny ungodliness, is in the past tense. Right. Um, the Berean Bible, actually, Berean Standard Bible says, it instructs us to renounce, wait, is that, that's wrong, Berean Literal Bible, instructing us that having denied ungodliness, we did that through the cross, mm -hmm. by our death with Christ, and by abiding in that denial and in that death, Absolutely. that's how we experience the, all that. Anyway, but you know, all, every one of these other Bibles, they're telling us, you better do it. You better tell the line. You better, anyway. And it's just, it doesn't. Yeah, they make the ifs a whole lot bigger. <laughs> they put it on you. Exactly. Instead of, instead of you being a vessel of, of, of a denying of ungodliness that has already happened because you died with Christ. Exactly. No, that's beautiful. And that 
uh, brought to mind another verse. Um, let's see. Let me see. So, so I think it's Second Peter, which we'll be in. We're in Second Peter here. So the beginning of Second Peter says this. Whereby, or according, uh, let's Second uh, Peter chapter one. <clears throat> We'll just start in verse 3. According to his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. This is that calling that he is saying, I want you to know the hope into which you've been called. I've been looking at that lately. Same calling. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Not yet to be fulfilled, it's given to us as a reality fulfilled. But listen to these words. That by these might, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Having already escaped. We're not still trying to escape it. We're not still trying to deny things. This is something that's already transpired. We, Paul is pointing out the fact that within that framework, within the reality of something accomplished, we grow. We think we grow on the bottom level to get to the top level. We grow from the finish line onward. That's how it works. We begin at the finish line. That's where we start in growing and comprehending what has been done, what God has wrought, what not us, God has wrought. And the same one that wrought that work and completed it in us, brought the completion of it in us, is the one who must make that known in us and cause our souls to be conformed, as it say, or recognize the true form of reality. Not I, but Christ. That's the whole transforming of the soul. It's not making me Jesus-like or making me better. It's about my soul coming to comprehend the form in which reality has been given to me. It has been given to me in the form of grace and mercy in the form of he is made unto me, not I am made to be. There is a beauty in becoming or being in Christ partakers and not producers. And the spiritual growth that the God who has wrought this work brings in our heart is so that we can be enjoying and rejoicing and glorying in the fact that we are partakers and not producers. That we are in the vine, we're not the root. That's growth. Where we can rejoice in such a transaction, in such a state of being, and not wrestle with it, and fight against it constantly. And that's what most people do. So this growth in the grace of God, this growth in the, and he says, in the knowledge of the Lord, and yes, that means a a knowledge that we possess of the Lord. We continue to know him, to know and to comprehend him. But I do believe that it also has within it the idea of we grow in the knowledge that belongs to God. Because that's the only knowledge God has to offer us, his knowledge. Our growth is because his knowledge brings us 
to comprehend as we are comprehended, to know as we are known, as it says uh, in Corinthians. And we'll read it also in, in Philippians in a moment. And I just wrote these things down yesterday. I, I'm looking at the old notes, but I was writing a couple things down yesterday because it just hit me that this is the real fight that most Christians are in with themselves. Because mostly they don't hear the gospel. They don't hear the truth. They don't hear what Daniel just said, that these things are past tense. These are not, you know, processes that we go through to squeeze the Jesus out of us. You know. This is a, a reality that we are growing in, in which we live and grow. Because God has set our feet upon something stable, something sure, steadfast. And it's the rock, he himself. So, I uh, was looking at Philippians 3, and I said I'm not going to keep you long. I don't want to belabor the point just to belabor it. An hour is not a spiritual uh, time frame. <laughs> so, we'll do what we do. Philippians chapter 3, and I want us to look at this in the context of this spiritual growth. And like I said, I'm just going to read a few of these verses and just comment on them. Because I think it's beautiful to understand not only the need to grow, the necessity of spiritual growth, because it is a necessity. It's, a, it's, the, it's really when the soul has the boundaries erected where we aren't looking outside and trying to find something there of reality. We see the perimeters of reality and live in it gratefully. But not only that, but I want us to see the rest in which Paul presents. And it's in a portion of, it's in a verse that most people don't take much time with. They, they don't really uh, look at it very very much. They look at, we look at all the verses around it uh, pretty hard. But we don't focus on it. And I think it's the verse that shows us there's a, stan there's, a, there's a stance of rest in which we grow. It's from that basis of Sabbath, rest, and uh, peace that we can grow in this grace. Because we Stand in the understanding of dependence, knowing that the God who has wrought the work is the one who will reveal the work that he has wrought and make known the person of that work in us and reveal Jesus to, as who he is. So, Paul, we, we know again, these verses are very familiar to us, but he's warning them again in verse 2, beware of dogs. <laughs> Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. He's not very complimentary of the people, you know. He's talking about those who are the concision or mutilators of themselves. And that's those who circumcise themselves. That's the people who have mutilated their bodies. And now he can say that. As a man who was also circumcised, he can now say, hey, they're just mutilators of their bodies. If they continue it beyond its point and its intent, they're mutilating themselves. Do not go their direction. 
For we are the circumcision. We're the true circumcision who worship God in spirit. And that's, the, that's a big part of this. We have to understand the realm in which we live and grow is spirit. We're always trying to have it break out into the natural. And that's where we think there's the lack. It's not out here. Nobody can see it in me. I can't see it in me. Well, okay. But it's still in you. That reality still holds you and anchors you in place when you can't see it or there's no external evidence. And I am almost to the point to believe that there is never external evidence to say there's a spiritual reality. Because there's so many things that can be manufactured that most people don't know the difference. In fact, when Jesus was doing the things he did, they didn't know that these were manifestations of God himself. Who do they say that I am? Oh, they have a lot of big ideas. Who knew who he was? The one the Father revealed him to. That's how we know spiritual reality. And that understanding of man, that is a spiritual reality, will never be centralized on us. God's not going to open the eyes of a man and say, Raven is real spiritual. I promise you. He's never going to let somebody see how spiritual I am. That disappoints me, but it's true. You know, they're not going to say, man, and just fall at your feet and all that stuff. That's not how it works. They didn't even do that to Jesus. Most of them are, you know, pretty adamantly against him. The ones that know are the ones that see according to God's view. The ones that God lets his understanding be known in them and permits that view to be seen. These are those who are the circumcision, worship God in spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And he says, I would be one that would have all confidence in the flesh if any other man thinks that he Hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Then he begins to give his credentials. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness within the law, blameless. But what things were gain to me? What things I thought were of riches and wealth to me? These are the things that he was convinced that made him righteous. These were the things that he believed made him right with God and holy and set apart as the Pharisees, set apart and separated ones. I have counted them lost. Those gain, wealth, riches, I've counted loss for Christ. And I say this every time I read that, and I think it every time I read that. He says that with a smile. He doesn't write that saying, oh, man, I gave up some good stuff for Jesus. <laughs> you know, people, you know, I've heard people talk about the things they give up for Jesus, and they don't do it so happily. You know, they look back at those things, oh, this is wonderful. Well, see, that giving up things for Jesus, most of the time that's just, you know, stuff you think you have to do, and you do it. This is something he had to give up. 
But he does it rejoicing in the fact he has seen that 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 Christ is, is greater than this. It's not saying, oh, that occupies my day. I have to give it up so I can pray more. No, that's saying this was not and this is. This was a testimony. This is the reality of that testimony. This is a blueprint. This is the house. There's something greater here. That's the... That's the thing he's been brought to. Not just, you know, woe is me, I give it all up for Jesus. So I count all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That winning Christ, that's that running. And the same thing that Colossians will talk about as the victor's crown and the same thing Hebrews will talk about, you know, looking unto Jesus, running the race, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. It's speaking of that. It's, it's speaking of laying aside the weights that would hold us, the things that miss the mark, the sin that would beset us, and look to Jesus as the author and finisher of those realities. That way we could lay them aside with joy, knowing we have received the reality of which they spoke, the thing to which they pointed. And he has done that, and he's rejoicing in that. And then verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And we'd say, well, that's, that's growth. Well, there's a degree of that, but that's really not the growth he's talking about. That's the transaction of being born of God. That's a transaction of, I am in him now. He has made unto me all things. That's the truth of salvation. That's the reality he's come to by being born of the Spirit. And then in verse 10, he begins to say, that I may know him. See, this knowing now is from the standpoint of, he's everything. This knowing is now from the standpoint of saying, I am found in him having nothing that belongs to me. I have been given a gift here that doesn't pertain to my works, my efforts, my abilities, my pedigree, my heritage, my lineage. It is nothing of me and everything of him. And it's from that standpoint that we grow. And what does that mean? Knowing him. That is the grace that has been given to us. And it's in the realm of that grace that we say, I want to know him. Listen to the order of these things. And the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. And being made conformable to his death. And most people will read those words and they'll make that the process of dying to self and denying self. And doing all of those things. I've got to die, I've got to die, I've got to die. And then we're in that circle forever. We're there forever. Because who's the arbiter of telling me how dead dead is? And what it means to be thoroughly dead instead of not quite dead. There's a lot of people that would volunteer for that job. And I've had a bunch of people volunteer for me. But what dead is, is I'm in Christ. You know what that means? You're dead in him. 
You're dead with Christ, crucified with Christ. That's a death, not now in sin, but to sin. That's the death that the cross brought about for those who believe. That's the death that we are now in in Christ, dead to sin and alive unto God. What Paul says is beautiful here because he puts the order in the proper order. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. That's first. That's the same thing as Ephesians is saying, because if you'll read through this prayer, he ends it by saying, and that you may know the power that God has wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, because that's your salvation. All that God wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, that's the gift that he's given to you. That's the power of life. That's uh, being dead to sin, putting away sin once and for all, bringing righteousness as it truly is into your soul, personified in a man who abides in it. That's the power of his resurrection. And therein we come to the sufferings and the conformity to his death. What does that mean? The more I see the one who lives, the more I comprehend I ain't that. Use that beautiful South Carolina way of saying it. I'm not the one who lives. I am not the righteous one that God looks at. I am not the holy one. I am not that. And he is. That is the comprehension that comes in this growth. I understand the living one defines the creation that is named by him, that is governed by him. That he is the head and the fullness of his body, just like Ephesians 1 says. And I grow in the knowledge of that risen one. It's the same thing Paul would say. Now that you're risen with Christ, set your affection above. It's the same comprehension. I'm now comprehending a reality that he is made unto me. Not a reality that I'll get to eventually or something my works will finally produce. It's a reality of the grace of God that has made him to be my righteousness. Nothing of my own. Nothing of my own defines this. Nothing of me. The Jews wanted a righteousness of their own. And Paul lamented that they were ignorant of the righteousness that belongs to God. They have no knowledge of that righteousness. That's what Paul is desiring, a greater. And this is at the end. They, you know, everybody says this is at the end of his ministry. And he's still desiring. Why? Because the comprehension never ends. This growth never ceases. This growth never ends. The problem is what never ends is the comprehending of it. What we think is the process of getting it never ends. Because <laughs> the goal is always put out. Further and further. I actually have a commentary in one of my notes for another lesson where he actually says that. The more we know him, the further the goal is set from us. Isn't that a sad thing? And he takes a very legitimate verse to come up with that kind of garbage. Because that's what most people believe. No, the goal was reached when you were born of God, you reach the end of God's intent. You've reached God's hope fulfilled. And from the basis of that fulfillment, we grow, 
We know, we comprehend, not as an intellectual or academic exercise, but as those dependent upon God to shine his light in our soul, to give us his perspective and view of what is in the heavens. That's the holy of holies now being manifest in a man, appearing and showing himself as the great high priest who has secured salvation for us. That's the picture. Or you have the the, the branches brought into the holiest of all, and there's one that's blooming and blossoming and bearing fruit, and here, here's your branch. And what do they see? There's only one branch that's living. And all the murmuring stops, all the complaining ceases. Yeah, that comes in the seeing of the one who lives. That's what Paul is addressing here. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Uh, some translations, people would put that off. No, that's speaking of a present comprehension of a fulfilled reality. And then we get into these verses where there are so many people who say, see, got you. Told you. Not that I'd already attained. <laughs> Either were already perfect. And they say, see that? Paul even admits he hadn't attained anything or he wasn't perfect either. Well, what are we talking about? Perfect as to state or perfect as to comprehension? Attained as to understanding what is done or it being done. There's a difference. Because Paul will also write in his letters, that we are complete, that we have, he speaks of those who are perfect and says, we speak this wisdom to those who are perfect. Who's he addressing there? Well, I have people that I've heard say, he's speaking of a special group of people that have actually attained that. No, he is speaking of a special group of people in whom Christ has attained that. And that's called the church, his body that he fills with his fullness. That's who he's addressing here. But as a man, he is understanding that he is not perfect or complete in understanding with regard to what God has done. To this righteousness that is not of him. Being that it's not of him, do we not believe that there is a learning curve? That its nature is not familiar to men? So we say somebody has to show us something that's not familiar to us. This perfection that we've come to is a never-ending realm in which we live and comprehend. That's the whole journey of the soul of a believer. It's to grow and comprehend and know as we are. And that's what he's about to say here because this goes on. But I follow after. If that I may apprehend. That word is comprehend. Not get it, but comprehend what I've already gotten. And we'll see who's the source of this getting it. That I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. It's the same thing Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Knowing as we are known. There is a basis, there is a standpoint, there is something certain that God has wrought in which he knows us. 
That's the beauty of this. That's the anchoring effect of salvation. God knows us in this way. And that's why Paul would so, so quickly change the way he says it. And he leaves it the way he says it to let them know he's doing it. He's saying, after you've known God, but rather are known of God, why do you revert back to these things or go to these lesser things that are not God's at all? Why do you do these things? Why do you allow men to bring you to something that's inferior to the reality you receive? But look at the basis he puts them upon. Not that you've known God. That's where most of us live. We think the knowing of God is the end all. And it's necessary. But is that what makes it real? Is that what makes it secure for us? Knowing. Nope. The fact that we are known of God makes it sure. Makes it real. That makes it certain because God's perspective is forever settled. It never moves. It never changes. It doesn't come with whims and end with whims. It's not about the day you had or the bad or good day. It doesn't matter. God's perspective is fixed. And guess where it's fixed? <coughs> Christ and not us. That's what makes it so good. God's perspective is fixed and never changes it's fixed upon the face of his beloved. And the whole gift of God to a soul in which that beloved lives is to open that soul's eyes to see the beloved he beholds. And in the seeing of that when we know and comprehend a salvation that is of him and not of us. But that secures us because we are found in him. And where most people would really have problems with saying that <coughs> I'm found in him having nothing of my own. It feels like they're stripped naked and bare before God. But we are clothed with another. That's the whole work of salvation. is to show you the garment of the grace of God that clothes you properly. And sets you before God secured and known. And this is the growing in the grace of God brings our soul to that comprehension more and more so that we can apprehend what we've been apprehended for. That we <coughs> would know that in which God knows us. And rejoice in it. And then he says, I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God. And that's the, <coughs> the victor's crown. That's the prize. And most people say, see, he's still pressing for the prize. No, he's still pressing to comprehend the immensity of the gift, the prize, the reward that he's been given. In fact, he will warn the Colossians say, do not let any man beguile you of your prize. Same thing. Same word, even, is in it. It's a compound word, but it uses this same word for prize. This is the prize that men will beguile you of. They'll say, you have not yet attained it, or you're unworthy of it. And that's the thing. They'll judge you unworthy of the prize that you say Christ has won for you. They'll say, you, wait a minute, you're saying you have it all? No, 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 not yet. You say all things are yours? No, not quite. 
Because they don't understand the difference between something wrought of God and a reality revealed of God. And that's the problem that most have. That we think until it's revealed, it's not real. That's not true. What is real is revealed. What has secured you is made known by God and you see the anchor that holds you in place and makes sure that your soul cannot move. Because it is certain in another. It is real because he is. And then in verse, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to stay forever on these things. These are just thoughts. I wrote this. When he says that he has not yet attained or not yet perfect, he means that he has not yet, yet apprehended and a complete internal awareness of the wealth and the reality that has already apprehended him, the reality of being in Christ. This is not a confession of lack as to reality, but it is a confession of a lack of comprehension with regard to the divine nature and the spiritual dimension of salvation. He's facing something that's so grand. That, I mean, we got to understand that. We're facing something that's immense here. And that's immense not only because it's big, but because it's of another realm altogether. It is spirit and not flesh. It is not knowable by human minds or conceivable by man's intellect. It has to be made known of God. Paul, Brother Spark says spiritual, spiritual life demands spiritual sight. That's true. But the only one that can give that sight is the one that through his ministry on earth healed the blind. He's the only one that can open eyes of blind people. That we may know. Then he goes on in verse 15. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. He just said, I, I'm not considering myself perfect. But then he's speaking to people and he says, let us who are perfect. What's he talking about? One's perfect in state. One's perfect in understanding. This is in, in, in state of being. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. What? To know him. Let us continue in our desire to know him. To grow in this great comprehension of God. To know as we are known. To apprehend inwardly what God has already apprehended us for. That hope he's called us to. And this is a beautiful part. This is the part I like. You know, most of us do not focus on. Most people don't focus on this part. If in anything you be otherwise minded. Wait a minute, you mean I can think in a way that is contrary? Yep, most of us do. In the biggest or smallest of ways. If you are thus minded, if you're otherwise minded, if you don't understand this, if you don't see this, what does he say? You better because that means it's not real in you. 
That means your salvation is not true and secure. That's not what he says, is it? He sets forth a basis of rest in this pursuit of the knowledge of Christ. If you are otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. <laughs> I mean, that's beautiful. It's not a turmoil. It's not a fight. It's not saying, God, I've got to get this or I don't have anything. No, it's saying, hey, he's done this. This is secure. This is real and it holds you in place and everything's great because he's in you. Your standing before God is not under observation and not in question here. God is not giving you a performance appraisal to see if you, you know, deserve a, a raise. He's giving you his wealth in its totality. Now here's the good news. If you don't understand that, just set your heart to know him and he'll even reveal this unto you. Man, that's good news. And that's spiritual growth. It's comprehending my dependence upon the ongoing work of God, opening my eyes to see my salvation. Then he says this, let us therefore, oh, I'm sorry, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained. He's speaking to those who are seeing reality to some degree. What we are already seeing, what we've already apprehended as an understanding, let us walk by that same rule. And let us mind that same thing. Let us stand in what we already are seeing, not lament in what we're not. Let's just stand in the fact that God has shown us his son and then stand dependent upon God to continue to show us your son. You know why? Because we're all still ignorant. We're all falling short as to a comprehension of a perfect salvation. That means we're all standing before God dependent. But in the midst of our dependence upon God to open the eyes to see reality, reality remains and keeps us, holds us. What a liberty. What a liberty. That we'll stand assured, not stand in questions and conflict. Again, not wrestling with the reality that the sufficiency we have, the stability we have belongs to another man. But rejoice in it that we are partakers and not called to be producers. So we'll stop there, guys. Thanks for listening.